I want to take a second here to say that I'm so glad that any of you take the time to watch this show. It really is an amazing thing. We wouldn't get to dig into any of this stuff if there weren't interested people, and this is a really fun part of my life. Thank you. There, I just practiced some gratitude. A few notes on it. First, it didn't happen automatically. I had to manually take a second to do it. Also, it felt good. So if gratitude is something that has a good impact, that it's not something that we always naturally do, it seems like something we should try to get people to do so it can give them a lift. Not to mention, when you begin to look at gratitude more deeply, you discover that the neurological, social, and spiritual benefits are so profound that you would be crazy not to try to spread the word. As with any practice, the best way to get people to participate is to explain the perks and the reasons behind them. And as luck would have it, that's what we're going to do tonight. Stay tuned. Welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Thanks for coming. In the USA, there is a holiday coming up very shortly. It's called Thanksgiving. There are comparable holidays elsewhere in the world, and it's supposed to be focused on gratitude. So we thought we would dig into that topic a little more deeply here. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm the host of this show. And if you want to be part of it, as always, get your questions, get your comments in, and we'll answer them at the end. So yeah, gratitude. Is it just uh, like a Hallmark card for another thing, superficial act, or is there more to it? Are there spiritual things about it? Did Swedenborg give any insights into it? Yes, 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 yes. Let's take a look at how that works. We'll get into our first section about receiving gifts. purpose of today is to arm you with a few things that hopefully will make a positive difference in your life, because whoever you are, we like you, we want to try to give you helpful things, and we're going to look a little bit at the nature of gratitude as a technique and as a phenomenon, whether you want to call it, uh, you know, physical, psychological, spiritual phenomenon, at it happening, what is it like, what does it do, how does it work? So we're going to begin our show today in Swedenborg, believe it or not, Divine Love and Wisdom 327. As always, click this book. You can download the whole thing. <clears throat> Nothing can arise from God, the Creator, that is not useful. So I wanted to start with that quote, because here we're talking about reasons for gratitude. You can't just be grateful if there's nothing to be grateful for. And it, the point is that, that we are getting more than we realize. Swedenborg says, everything is useful in some way. So even all this stuff in this tough situation that we call life is useful. That God isn't allowing anything that exists, whether that be objects or states of being. That Not to say everything is pleasant or the ideal circumstance, but there's nothing that good can't be brought out of. And then once we get a handle on that, that leads to the potential to be grateful for, even for our own lives. You guys ever see that movie, uh, American Beauty? At the end of it, he's like, I was grateful for every moment of my stupid little life, or something like that. The point is, the, the higher vantage point we have looking down, the more we're grateful. If you check out near-death experiences, people who see the path 
from a divine perspective of the events of their life, instead of feeling like it was random and, and painful and pointless, they say, this is cool. There, there's a plan. I get it. So we're going to try to get there. There's a couple of things we want to nail down in this opening section. So there's the idea that everything, everything that God allows to happen can lead in the end to greater good. And let's dig a little deeper into that here. This is a video, again, from Swedenborg's Divine Love and Wisdom, where he talks about this further. Since the goal of creation is a heaven from the human race, the intermediate goals are everything else that has been created. Because these do relate to us, they focus on these three aspects of us, our bodies, our rational functioning, and for the sake of our union with the Lord, our spiritual functioning. We cannot be united to the Lord unless we are spiritual. We cannot be spiritual unless we are rational. And we cannot be rational unless we are physically whole. So we have these three categories that that we're looking for. These are categories of gratitude, mind, body, spirit. You've probably heard those before. And you think about things that are good for each one of these and that they have to follow in sequence in order to work. So the body, obviously, nutrition, safety, warmth, the kinds of things you have. You you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There has to be that stuff met, and that's the stuff that we need. And Swedenborg says we need to have that stuff, as other people do. We need to have that set in order to get the right mind. So maybe think about that stuff you do have in that category. Oh, this is cool that I have that. And mentally, so you've got mental and then spiritual. And what's the difference? As Swedenborg said, the consciousness is the spirit. What's what in there? You could think about it that the things that, that prep the mind are the things we learn, facts, uh, ways of categorizing ideas, sort of mental constructs. Those are are the intermediary step, and we need to have those. We need to go out and learn. I keep referencing near-death experiences, but often people who have those well, well, after they have them, they'll enroll in school somewhere because they say, I got to learn. And, and Swedenborg said, and the pursuit of knowledge is important. However, those have to be in a set in order to promote the spiritual. So what's the spiritual? In this case, you know, he goes into a lot of detail about these categories. I'll boil it down here. The spiritual has to do with morality. It has to do with love, acting lovingly. That, that he says there's intelligence, which is just you know, having facts, or you want to call it, uh, you know, knowledge, having all these facts in your brain, being able to recite things and sound smart. Wisdom is actually using that stuff for good, for love. And so we need to have all of those in order. And so that is all, all three of those in their order are being fed by God all the time. And we don't always see that or stop to see that. So that's somewhere you can start. And we're looking for, what can I be, have any kind of gratitude for? What's feeding the body? what's feeding the mind or the knowledge base, and then what's feeding the spirit or the ability to act lovingly. And let's draw up a distinction. As I, if you know Swedenborg at all, he was this dual citizen of spiritual world, physical world. He wrote all this stuff about spiritual experiences, seeing angels, seeing spirits, seeing demons of different kinds. So he was all over, and he says that there's a difference between that world and this world in terms of what we're given. So Divine Love and Wisdom 334, and this is kind of a setup for why Why should I be grateful for this life? This life is not nearly as good as I could imagine it. So this is a little bit about that. This is about what goes down with angels. It is abundantly clear that these useful things in creation are for our use and that they are gifts freely given if we look at the state of angels in the heavens. They have bodies, and he calls them, you know, spirit bodies, but he says that 
angels, spirits, all have forms, just like we do. Rational abilities and spiritual receptivity, just as we on earth do. They are nourished for free because they are given their daily food. They are clothed for free because they are given their clothing. They are housed for free because they are given their homes. They have no anxiety about any of these things. And to the extent that they are spiritually rational, they enjoy pleasure, protection, and preservation of their state. The difference is that angels see these things come from the Lord because they are created in response to the angel's state of love and wisdom. Well, we, we do not see these things because things recur according to the calendar and happen not according to our states of love and wisdom, but according to our efforts. So, big setup here. They're in heaven, in the spiritual world. Spiritual world means the m- mental world. I mean, the, the conscious, cognitive part of us the, and the emotive part of us, that is our spirit. So here, everything is physical and reacts physically. If I push over this microphone, it's because I put physical force on it. But there, it's all your thoughts and feelings are what are the actors or the agents. So how an angel or a spirit is thinking and feeling, that can create things, you know, God through that can create things right in front of them, food, housing, this kind of thing. So that's what they get. Uh, On earth here, yeah, he says, but here it just seems like you want it to be summer, you got to wait for the calendar to plug along, and it's summer. And here we certainly don't all get fed, clothed, housed for free. So why do we get such a raw deal here? We got to get through this if we're ever going to figure out why we would be grateful for anything. So it has to do with the fact that God only gives what's useful. And that is a different thing for different states of mind. The angelic state of mind is one of total love for everyone, total humility, uh, and total awareness of God. We don't have that stuff, so we need different medicine. And the medicine that Swedenborg says God is giving us has a few a uh, few facets to it. First of all, it's kind of the opposite of the prosperity gospel. <laughs> I don't know. It, this is pretty great, huh? Yeah, I don't know if you guys have heard of that as a like a Christian doctrine, which is, as I understand it, and I may be miscategorizing it, but if you are a good Christian, if you really love God, God is going to give you a nice house. God is going to give you a nice car, because you just got to believe, I'm believing on this car, and it's going to happen. However, Swedenborg says that's not the way it works, and the reason for that is that wealth can either be a blessing or a curse, and this is something we all understand when we look at people. There are some people who, we made up the word spoiled, that, that money spoils their spirit, that money can, if, if, because we're on this planet for such a short time, and what we're doing here is forming our spirit, which is going to be with us forever. If you get a lot of money and that makes you think you're superior to other people or it keeps you from going through some struggles that will actually get you more spiritual growth, uh, then it's you'd rather, even though in the short term it seems like, I'd want money, I want money, it's better the path that we're getting, right? Not that you just sit there if you don't have money. You're always supposed to try, but I'm just saying to think God would oh, you're doing a good job, here's money. We don't know the impact that would have. If I Right now, if I got $5 million, I don't know if that would be great. It seems like it would, but you've seen those studies. Lottery winners a year afterwards are not significantly happier than before. So the point is, it's all about the stream of providence. That's the wealth and, and the thing you're supposed to come into. Swedenborg describes God's leading us like a current and a stream. And if you get to the point where you know 
God is leading me to what's best for me spiritually, that the things that are coming in are going to be good tools to get my spirit right, and then once the spirit's right, he can give you all this stuff in abundance, all this stuff he's talking about angels getting. Uh, that's all there because their, their state of mind allows them to receive it. So once you believe in that, then everything that comes along, even though it doesn't all feel great, you, you have this overall sense of, okay, this is going to turn out well. This is going to be the best thing for me in the end, even if my lower self doesn't believe it. And that is worth more than money. All right. So that's, what, that's my little pitch for why we should be grateful for the lives that we're getting. And it's, of course, always sitting next to you. You try to stop things that are bad. You try to change them. And that's actually God coming through you. And at the same time, you do, do your best and then try to, try to be as cool with the results as you can be, right? Divine Love and Wisdom 333. The Lord grants all these gifts on earth. And then these gifts being spiritual gifts, the love, uh, patience, trust, upon our acknowledgement that everything physical also comes from the Lord, and that we are simply like servants or stewards given responsibility for the Lord's goods. And I think that that's a cool little, uh, that's a cool little concept, because not, every, not everyone automatically thinks like that. I don't. The physical stuff that I have to think, this, I'm just holding on to this for God. I'm just trying to do something good with this. It's going to be somebody else's in a couple of decades, but once we even get down to that level, where this is all God's stuff, I'm just doing with it what I can in this, then God can give these gifts to us. So that, why, why does God need these conditions, and why does God want us to be grateful, these kinds of things? Are those questions in your mind? If not, put them there, because we're going to answer them in our next section. Doesn't it that there's so much of God asking for be thankful or say how great the things I give you are? Why does God want that? If if you're somebody that's really rich and you give out gifts, just but you you better say thank you. There's something a little off about that. So what is that? And that's something we here on the channel have been trying to explain for quite some time. So we're going to throw it all the way back to a Swedenborg Minute, which is a series of short videos we did where we tackle this very subject. So take it away, Curtis. There's an idea out there that what God is looking for from us is praise, adulation, flattery. That's been cited at times as one of the main issues with this idea of God. Who creates beings just to get praise? If parents had children for that reason, we would call them psychos. However, Swedenborg says that God does want to be worshipped, but not because it's good for God. God doesn't care. God doesn't have self-esteem issues or narcissism complex to feed, but because it's good for us. One of the greatest spiritual tools that we can ever gain is humility. However, you can't just fabricate it from nowhere. But in noticing and admitting what's already true, that God is a lot more awesome than us, we distance ourselves from that toxic, I am the center of the universe, which is always looking for supremacy in our minds. And that opens us up to more humble, genuine relationships with not just God, but everyone we interact with. Curtis, you're so edgy. <laughs> and I also noticed in that, like I've graduated from that 
that cartoon tree shirt to this pencil drawing tree shirt in the city below. So look at that. Uh, enough, enough about me. Uh, let's take a look at Secrets of Heaven 5957. So there you saw, yeah, God is not asking for us to be humble because God wants to be top dog. It's because it helps us. The Lord, therefore, desires a humble attitude in us on our behalf, because when we have that attitude, the Lord can flow in with heavenly good. The same applies to worship and, word of the day, gratitude. So, there's a diagram that will explain this. There's us, there's the Lord. There's that line, that jaggedy line, is a block. Something that's blocking the good things from God coming into us. Humility, gratitude, traits like that open that up. And that, that line isn't actually out there, it's in the human mind. That opens us up. So God is wanting us to be thankful to have humility, because he's not thinking even about those things, the humility or gratitude. He's thinking about bringing love and healing and the things that are going to feed us to us. That's his goal. The other things are just means. So that is why you see in all kinds of world religions this call to have gratitude. I mean, it's everywhere. You don't believe me? Check this out. Gratitude is an essential element. That's why you see it pop up in all these different dialects of God or these world religions. They all have this, this element, hey, be thankful. And it's not be thankful because I do a lot for you and I'm really not getting appreciated. It's be thankful because I need you to open that up. I'm going to bring you good things. All right. So what does God want from us? Secrets of Heaven 10177 bracket 4. The reason why that alone which springs from love and charity is pleasing to the Lord and is therefore heard and received by Him is that love constitutes all that a person is, for a person is such as his love is. This explains why angels in heaven live as embodiments of love and charity. Any holy and religious respect paid to the Lord that does not spring from love and charity is indeed heard, but it is not received with pleasure. It is a hypocritical holiness and respect, something merely outward, devoid of anything inward. Outward holiness, devoid of anything inward, reaches no further than the outskirts of heaven and dwindles away there. But outward holiness, springing from inward, reaches right on into heaven, according to the essential nature of that inward holiness, thus reaches toward the Lord." For outward holiness, devoid of that inward holiness, is a product solely of the lips and movements of the body, whereas outward holiness, springing from inward, comes at the same time from the heart. So, external piety. I'm, I did all the rituals, but yet I'm, 
a jerk. I drive like a jerk. <laughs> that is no good. And in the sense of gratitude, if we just, you know, that that's joke. I don't even need to tell it to you. There's a two guys in the temple. Oh, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Third guy walks in. who's like a janitor. He says, oh, I'm nothing. And they're like, look who thinks he's nothing. If you are, I'm, I'm so humble. I'm so humble because you're trying to be the greatest. That's not it. It's fine. It's not to beat yourself up about. It's just to know the goal is actual humility, uh, actual and gratitude. Gratitude is the best way to humility because you're saying thanks, and that acknowledges I had a need and and you gave me something. So, what does God want to give us? Secrets of Heaven one four one nine. What makes love heavenly is not the desire to have anything for ourselves, but to share with everybody. So it is the desire to give everything that is ours to others. This is the essence of heavenly love. Because the Lord is love itself, or the essence and living power of the love that everyone in heaven has, He wants to give everything that is His to the human race. So, unlimited, omnipotent being wants to give you everything if if I got a letter that said I want to give you everything, here's here's how you accept the offer. I would go about doing it, man, and that's what we're trying to give ourselves tools here because it's not the easiest thing, or else everyone would do it. So we've got, just got to kind of figure out the way. And there's a lot of ways to get to that way. It's not all through revelations and old sacred texts. We can look at modern psychology and what it tells us about gratitude and its role and what it can accomplish. So we talked to a psychologist, about the phenomenon of gratitude, what are people studying in it, and how can we learn from them and enhance our spiritual journey? So here's Dr. Sony Werner. Well, gratitude is a topic that psychologists have only really recently started to pay attention to. If you think back in the last century, which is sort of the time period when psychology really developed as a science or a social science, they really started mostly looking at all the things that go wrong with people. And that's good. We have to do that. We have to identify depression, etc. But about 40 years ago, some psychologists uh, right here in Pennsylvania started getting organized, thinking about the positive side. How can we be more specific? How can we teach people practical tools to enhance their lives, to enrich their lives? And it's called positive psychology. And within that is the subfield of looking at the study of gratitude. And it's a marvelous thing to see some people who have really come forward. And I want to do a sort of a, a thank you, if you will, to some of the psychologists who have made this their life work. One of them is a guy named Dr. Robert Emmons, E-M-M-O-N-S, and he's out west, and, and he has really become uh, an expert on this. And, and I really want to share some of the tidbits that he has come up with based on real research on real people. And what what does it mean to practice gratitude? And they're really very harmonious with what the writings say about what is basically the purpose of life. So Emmons would say things like, well, it boils down to a couple of things. One is, if you practice gratitude, one of the first things is you need to be specific about what exactly is the thing that you're grateful for. So people like on Thanksgiving, they might say, I'm grateful for my family, or I'm grateful that I have a job or a roof over my head or good food. They're, they're specific. That's pretty easy. But to push it a little farther, it's he says it's very useful for somebody to be specific about where does that goodness come from? Maybe it's the generosity of somebody who donated money so you could go to college, or maybe it's your parents who loaned you a car. But be specific. But he also says, if you're spiritually minded, it is a good practice to thank God or a higher power, whatever you call him or her. And he says that is actually has benefits. 
And it's not only for your state of mind, but it also has physical benefits for yourself and it actually helps you in your relationship with others. So we got Swedenborg on the one hand saying, it's good to be have gratitude that's going to be connecting you with God. You have researchers saying the same kind of thing. Either way, it enhances your life. So armed with those, let's take a look at three key areas in life where gratitude can have a positive impact. We'll begin with gratitude and relationships. this section, we're going to be looking at, an, or for the remainder of the show, we're going to be looking at a number of things that are coming out of the Greater Good Science Center, uh, which is, you can look them up online, there's our logo, uh, and they are looking into re- research about, among many positive things, gratitude. So we're gonna, let's take a look at an article of theirs right now. Uh, so this is about gratitude and relationships. It's the article title is Gratitude is for Lovers. Here's a couple of excerpts. This, the studies they overviewed said that grateful couples were more satisfied in their relationships, felt closer to each other. We found that the participants reported feelings of gratitude toward a romantic partner predicted who would stay in their relationships and who would break up nine months later. We found that gratitude can help relationships thrive by promoting a cycle of generosity. Moments of gratitude help people recognize the value in their partners. So there's all kinds of useful things there. You take a look at the full article. We're not going to steal it all here. But their gratitude is a potent tool in person-to-person relationships, and it can also work in the same way with the relationship human to divine. And that actually, if you believe Swedenborg and those kind of guys, getting the relationship squared away with God is going to help all other aspects of your life, including your other relationships. And a key part of that is acknowledging where the gifts we get from God come from. You think about a person who gives you a card with a check in it or something like that. It matters who gave it. You think about them, oh, so they, they don't even know me that well. They did that for me. It can change how we feel about it, or, or we do know them well, but this it was sweet of them to reach out. It matters when you think about who's giving it to you, the good that's coming. So it's good to think about, oh, this is actually coming from God, understanding it's a gift. So here's, uh, uh, first of all, we're going to take a look at a quote from Robert Emmons, uh, who is talking about uh, the, the social impact of gratitude, and you can see there's a link down there. You can pause it and put it in or click it on the description. Gratitude is, in fact, a social emotion. It has been referred to as relationship-strengthening emotion because it involves perceptions of being supported and affirmed by other people. They provide a benefit for us that changes the nature of the relationships now between the individuals. And in fact, when people are keeping these journals, this is in a context, it's a clip about people keeping gratitude journals and the impact it had on them. They're more sensitive to situations in which they themselves can become helpful, outgoing, altruistic, pro-social, generous, compassionate, and so on. Less lonely, less isolated, so more positive social behaviors, fewer destructive social behaviors, keeping gratitude journals. And so that's just good advice in general. Also, it said in the beginning, you feel more supported by people, you feel more connected, or something like that. If we have that same feeling about God, if, oh, God is giving me gifts, we feel supported about it, that is an uplifting, supporting uh, 
a, a reassuring feeling. And as Swedenborg puts it, there's even deeper, more technical reasons that, that not only us, but angels always want to stay in this mode of, this came from God, thank you God, because this brings the joy of life. And here is a little excerpt from one of his books with some diagrammy material on top. The chief means of dividing the outer self from the inner is self-love. The chief means of uniting the outer self to the inner is mutual love, which is absolutely impossible to acquire until self-love withdraws. The two are, after all, diametrically opposed. Our inner self is simply mutual love. Our actual spirit, or soul, is our intermediate self, which lives on after death. It is organic, since it is linked to our body while we live in the world. This intermediate self, this soul or spirit of ours, is not our inner self, but the inner self is present within it when mutual love is present. The qualities of the inner self are the Lord's, so that our inner self can be said to be the Lord. But as long as angels, or human beings, live a life of mutual love, the Lord gives them a heavenly sense of autonomy, so that for all they can tell they are doing good on their own. As a consequence, the inner self is attributed to them as if it was theirs. However, those who love one another admit and believe that no goodness or truth is theirs, but that all of it is the Lord's. The ability to love another as themselves, and more especially to love another more than themselves if they resemble angels, is a gift from the Lord, as they also admit and believe. This gift and its blessings retreat from their grasp the more they retreat from acknowledging that it is the Lord's. So hopefully you are in the mood for a little like hyper-technical Swedenborg soul, spirit, inner self uh, essay, because he gets into these categories and these structures. If that didn't seem straightforward, he's essentially saying that you angels live in a constant state of gratitude that they can feel that even their ability to love is a gift from God, and that that is an awesome feeling, that this is not something that they would want to trade, this is something they want to stay in. Because not only do you have the feeling of love, you have gratitude at the same time, and oh, somebody else wants to give me that love, it's a good deal. This whole outer self, inner self, inner soul, intermediate self, that, that's just the way it's structured. If that's interesting to you, that's where it is. But the takeaway is that we're working up towards perma-gratitude, and that this is the happiest state of life that you can be in. Secrets of Heaven, 9938. The Lord is not the receiver of gifts or presents, but the giver of them, freely to everyone. Those who are wise at heart know, indeed perceive, that nothing whatever of the wisdom within themselves originates in themselves, but that all of the wisdom is attributable to the Lord. That is, all of the good of love and all the truth of faith are attributable to Him. From this it is evident that the acknowledgement of this matter, and especially the perception of it, constitutes the innocence of wisdom. It could seem, and it does seem to our outer self, that the idea that really credit for stuff goes to God, God is the one who gives us wisdom, that could seem, oh, that's no good. I can't be happy not with not knowing that I'm the one that does this. But Swedenborg says he has very vividly experienced that actually that's a lot more fun. And the counterintuitively, the more you actually believe that, the more independent and the more you seem like you really are you. So 
That's what he says. The whole show asks you to suspend disbelief, so why not do it one step farther? So why is that important, that, that whole accepting uh, gratitude toward God for the gifts God gives? Divine Providence 90, we can be reformed and regenerated only to the extent that we can be brought to a recognition that everything good and everything true that we think and do comes from the Lord and not from us. Being reformed and regenerated... I'm breaking from the text here, that is the essential task in this world. I mean, that directly creates eternal happiness, is the ability, and that just would mean spiritual growth, becoming a better person. We know what it means, but the only way that that can truly happen is this humility of recognizing, I'm not the source, God is the source. I'm the, I am an effect, I'm very much a thing that's cool, but God is the source. The, the reason we cannot recognize this except through freedom and rationality is that these two abilities themselves come from the Lord. They are the Lord's within us. It then follows that we cannot have this recognition on our own, but only from the Lord, though we still seem to be having it independently. So it's this constant partnership between us and the Lord. This is the Lord's gift to every one of us. Let us then believe that we are independent, but know and acknowledge that we are not. Otherwise, any true thoughts that we think and any good things that we do are not really true and good. We are present in them, and the Lord is not present in them. If we are present in anything good, if we are doing it for the sake of our salvation, then it is done for credit. Well, if the Lord is present in the good that we do, it is not for credit. So this is relatively mystical saying, because it seems to be a little harsh, and oh, if we're in the good that we do, then it's not good. You could see a little clarity in that last line. Realize all these terms are very specifically Swedenborg-defined. I mean, that we are in something, or the Lord is in something, but the person is still doing both. It's not what you would initially think reading the English words. But I will say that at the end he says, if we're doing something for credit, we see self in it. If we're doing something for love or for effect, then the Lord is in it. The Lord is mutual love. So, and we know this, that if you're doing anything, donating money, helping somebody, and the motive is just to look good, we know that's not genuine. I mean, that's not a very revolutionary idea. He's just saying it goes even deeper, even farther. And actually, Sony Werner, who is a student of, or are very familiar with, I should say, Swedenborg's writings recounted when we were doing this interview with her, uh, that Swedenborg describes that the angels, they're averse to credit, actually. So here's what she had to say. I mean, we even hear about the, uh, the spirits in the next world. They don't really want credit to be given to them for the goodness they do. The more holy or the more celestial the angels are, the less they want to have credit. But it's good for the people who are communicating about gratitude to make sure that they do at least attribute it to God or thank you to the angels who provided some wonderful service for them. So it's good for the recipient in many ways, but it also is really good for us as the communicator who is trying to call up the feelings of gratitude and to be mindful about what they are. However, the feeling that anything that we get is a gift from God is not a very pushy feeling. I mean, aren't there huge numbers of people who don't think there, there even is a God, that God even exists? Don't we all have days where we think there's no God? I mean, what, what is this? And yet, if Swedenborg is reporting accurately, there is God everywhere. But yet, God says, here, you can have all this stuff. Always have it. You don't have to say that it comes from me. I'm not forcing you to. And that's important. That's essential because gratitude has to come freely. Secrets of Heaven, 1947. All true internal worship comes from freedom. 
and none from compulsion. If worship is not from freedom, it is not internal worship. And if you could just sense, oh, this is all from God, that would be a forcing, even though sometimes it seems like it would be nice, because then, okay, I can settle this question in my mind, I can feel like there is a supportive divine presence there that doesn't leave you in the freedom to reject. Nobody would, would be able to say, no, there's, there's no such thing as God, or, or God isn't doing this for me. So you got to have that. And it's because gratitude and freedom are intimately linked. Secrets of Heaven 10.416. All desire for celebration and all gladness of mind come from the delights that belong to the loves that govern a person. Every desire to celebrate has concord residing inwardly within it. For if any disagreement or disapproval enters in, that desire perishes. The desire to celebrate resides inwardly in a person's feeling of freedom. And all feeling of freedom comes as a result of love, when nothing exists to frustrate it. So, saying that, even if we don't totally realize it, our sense of being completely free, that's the only place gratitude, thankfulness can come from. If we didn't have that, if we weren't free, even to the, the, the uh, irritating extent that we are free here, uh, we couldn't have actual gratitude, which couldn't, and then we could, couldn't form this partnership. That is so essential to happiness and deeper, better happiness than anything that it's up against. So that said, let's take a look now at, rather than just with relationships, how can gratitude affect, even while we're here, just living on this earth, doing our thing, how can it affect our overall quality of life? This is something that uh, scientists are finding just by studying human behavior. We'll open with, again, Sony Werner talking a little bit about gratitude and quality of life. I'd like to talk to you about uh, Barbara Fredrickson's research. She came up with a theory after interviewing thousands of different people. And she came up with a theory that she calls gratitude leads to broadening and building. Broadening and building, or broad and build. And I love this concept. She says... The benefits of, of gratitude practice is that you broaden yourself in the sense that when you are in a state of being grateful, you actually make yourself more open and willing to learn about the world, as opposed to, I already know everything. It actually shifts your focus to, oh, I want to learn about that. And you become more inquisitive, and you become more uh, creative, and more willing to take um appropriate risks to gain and enrich your life. So that's for your own benefit. It really does happen. And then build, of course, has to do with building your relationships. When you are thinking about being grateful and you are telling other people that you're grateful, you are building. It's like the mortar in a stone wall. It's getting stronger and stronger. So you're building those relationships. You're also building your own physical strength that actually makes you healthier. It actually makes people um, more intellectually curious, and it makes them physically more willing to go do healthy things for themselves, as well as to provide opportunities for others. So it has many benefits for ourselves, and it broadens us, and of course, if we're curious and interested, we keep learning new things, and guess what? That helps our brain be better. The more we keep learning, the better we are. So it's almost like a chain of events. 
gratitude practice leads to us broadening our interest in the world as opposed to, I'm not interested in anything and I don't really care. It's the opposite of that. It's the opposite of depression. It's, a, it's an opening up of trying to learn new things and then building our relationships and building our own lifestyle so that we are actually healthier. And uh, as far as she can tell from her research, probably less than 20% of the adult population in America do this. So it's something that she'd like to advocate that we do on a regular basis. <laughs> it makes our brains better. And it's not just, you can't just, we're what, because we're doing some show about spiritual kind of things. So you just got to worry about the spirit and not the brain. The, the physical structures are absolutely essential to the human experience. So let's talk a little bit about brain benefits and how gratitude can actually shape that organ. Swedenborg was an anatomist, and the, the theology that he found, or the worldview that he found through his spiritual experiences, the soul talks to the to our consciousness through our physical structures. And as you can tell, you mess with the brain, you mess with the person. It's a unit. It's not just there's a physical brush at a side. So some benefits in the brain from gratitude. I'll have a quick clip. There's two, two things I want to look at. The first is another clip from Sony talking a little bit about some chemical things that are happening. If you look at the brain, what's going on at that moment, because neuroscientists love to know what's happening at every moment, whether you're doing something bad or something good. And your brain is flooded with what's called oxytocin. It's a, it's a chemical, kind of a neurotransmitter, and it, and it makes you feel cuddly, makes you feel warm. It's like when you hold a puppy or when you hold a new baby, you feel, ah, well, you don't even have to hold a puppy or hold a baby, but oxytocin is that wonderful glowy feeling that is a chemical thing that happens when we're feeling benevolent to others or we're mindful about how people have been kind to us. Psychology Today and their website, they have a blog that's called Prefrontal Nudity, uh, and they have an uh, article on there that talks about the uh, grateful brain and some of the, the things that, uh, again, go check out the whole article if you want. Some highlights, gratitude if practiced regularly can keep you healthier and happier. Keeping a gratitude journal, which it seems like a lot of people are recommending, also cause greater improvements in exercise patterns. Lastly, it causes a reduction in physical ailments, so these subjects had fewer aches and pains. Man, reading that, I got to do that. Okay, so gratitude had a direct effect on depression symptoms. The more gratitude, the less depression, and an indirect effect on anxiety. And if you read on, it just says because people who had more gratitude could sleep better, and so they had less anxiety. And they found that subjects who showed, showed more gratitude overall had higher levels of activity in the hypothalamus, and they go on to, set, to list a bunch of benefits that you get from having more activity in that particular brain region. So there's a lot of good physical benefits from gratitude, and believe it or not, there are spiritual benefits as well. Secrets of Heaven 10, 9, 6. Everything good comes to those who worship the Lord from deep inside. A blessing involves every heavenly and spiritual kind of benefit and every earthly kind as well. These are what a blessing symbolizes in an inner sense. In a shallower sense, it symbolizes every temporal, personal, and worldly kind of benefit, but if these are to be true blessings, they have to stem from an inner blessing. Only an inner blessing really is a blessing because it is eternal and carries with it a full range of happiness. An inner blessing is the essential reality of any blessing, because what else is genuinely exists besides what is eternal? 
Everything else that exists, ceases, that exists ceases to exist. A blessing on Jehovah was a common phrase among the ancients, and by it they meant that all blessings, everything good, in other words, came from him. It was also a standard way to thank the Lord for his benefits in past and present. And it gets a little bit uh, opaque there, and when Swedenborg is describing spiritual or heavenly internal joys, he does sometimes just say, I can't quite describe it. It's stuff that if you felt it, you, wow, that's cool, that's cool, but it's a little hard to describe, but it's there. These are layered benefits that especially we're sort of storing them up in us in this life if we work hard at things like gratitude when you come into the Spirit, when there, when there is this uh, connection with everything that's been stored up there, it all comes to life, and it's totally worth the time and effort, so they say. Also, if you want, but if you want something a little more concrete to use here now, gratitude can be very, very useful when you're going through hard times, difficult stuff in life. We're going to have Sony talk one more time a little bit about the use of gratitude when things are not going well. And it's during that time that psychologists would say it's actually toxic to your whole being as well as the relationship if you spend too much time just thinking about what you didn't get out of the relationship. But to actually try to balance that with being grateful. What did I receive and what opportunity did I have to give to somebody else? And to try to reflect on those. That's hard to do if somebody has really violated the relationship. Maybe they stole something from you or they plagiarized and stole your intellectual property or in a a divorce they violated some of the the basics of um, the promise to each other that they'd be faithful. It's very hard to do, but it's actually good practice when relationships are ending, to not just go to that automatic place of, what about me? I'm hurt, I've been deprived, and I want to get back. So psychologists often encourage counselors to guide people who are going through those rough times to make sure to spend some time on a regular basis being grateful. Now, again, Dr. Emmons and another person, Dr. Fredrickson, who's a um, Barbara Fredrickson, they're both experts in this area, they really encourage people during the good times and the bad times to keep a gratitude journal. So it's pretty much to this point what I'm telling you, what I'm reading from Swedenborg, what uh, Sony is saying there, relatively theoretical, meaning a prescriptive. Like, this is what you should do. This is what. Let's hear now from somebody who this really worked for her. Uh, this is somebody who we interviewed who said that, that gratitude saved her life, that the, the ability to be grateful helped her in, in the, one of the darker places that you can get to. So this is what it looks like when it really goes through a human being. So here is Kathy's story. It's, it's, I really like, it's really like, it's really raw, and this is really someone who's been through it. So if you've been through something, hopefully you recognize something of yourself in here, or you'll see it stored up and be able to draw on it when times get tough for you. So here's her story. Well, I think a lot of people might say, how, how does someone who lost two sons, how, how do they get to a place of gratitude and um, even happiness? You know, how do, how do they get there? How does that even make sense? Um, well, actually, it, it was survival for me. It's about survival. And it's not just my survival. It was my survival for the rest of my family. Because I saw my family, and I knew how um, my son's passing affected them. And I knew that I had to make it. And I knew that, um, I, knew that I had to 
you know, do whatever I could to, to, to get to a good place where I was solid and strong. And I mean, cause the thing is, if it was up to me, I might just want to go, this sounds dramatic, but just go lie down in between my son's graves. You know, I mean, that is how, str- I'm not saying, oh, la la la, my son's passed away and I'm happy. It's like, no, the pull is really strong. The pull is really strong to just give up, to just, you know, not have it work, to just shut down emotionally, to just, you know, not, not necessarily follow them in the way they went, but to give up, to give up, not even try. And so keeping my heart open was like number one. You know, I gotta keep my heart open. Is that hard? Are you kidding me? Yes, it's hard because it's painful. But um, so the thing is, um, early on what I noticed about you know me trying to survive was like just say it's like a metaphor like a boat or something so I'm trying to stay afloat and as I'm going on and feeling all my feelings and all that kind of stuff I noticed blame you know because blame can come up when you lose people blame totally pulled me down and I felt the water coming over the over the edges you know it's like get away from that one that's not gonna, you know, I mean, I was really good at it. You know, I used to be really good at it. It's like, okay, I'm not even given the chance to do that because it's gonna pull me down. And then the other thing was complaining. You know, does anyone have something to complain about? I have something to complain about. And it's like, but I could just feel the boat sinking. So it's a survival thing. You know, I've got to keep my boat afloat. You know, okay, there's a little rhyme, but. Um, so keeping the boat afloat, how do I keep my boat afloat? Um, how do I get to this place of gratitude? You know, it's obvious, okay, complaining doesn't work. Gratitude, how do I get to gratitude? Well, it's kind of like, okay, you know what? I'm going to do a job that I love. I'm going to do a job that I love. And so I'm in the garden every day, almost every day, you know, every, every weekday I'm in the garden. Okay. Even when it's raining, okay. I'm not going to go garden at someone else's house, but I'm in my garden because it, it just gives me something to be so grateful for. And then the other thing was I'm surrounded by people who are very emotionally intelligent. It's an amazing community. And I knew, okay, what do people do when they're in a hard place? They surround them, themselves with people that they care about and who are emotionally supportive. So I have a, I'm, I feel spoiled, kind of. I have a group of friends that gets together just for me, you know? Um, and I have a life coach, and I have a therapist, and I'm doing all the right things. And guess what? My heart can stay open, and my heart can stay open in a grateful way. It's an amazing thing. It's like um, having this job and having having this job being outside and being able to be surrounded by beauty, by the Lord's beauty. You know, it's like every day I'm grateful. And having the support that I have keeps me in connection with people and keeps me alive and ready to feel love and 
um, grateful for human connection. You know, I'm in a place where I'm grateful for human connection and I could be hiding in a corner right now. So, you know, the trick is that I do this for my family and guess what? I'm, in some ways, I'm, it sounds weird, but I'm more content than I've ever been. And in some ways, I'm healthier than I've ever been emotionally. Um, I'm not downplaying the hard parts. Um, there's, it's kind of when I'm in it, I feel like I have chronic pain. You know, it's just something that's always going to be there. But there are times when I feel ex extreme joy even now, which feels kind of weird. I feel like because of so many things right now in my life, I am living in a place of gratitude. And it's really beautiful and I'm so grateful to the people around me in my community and um, life is good. Life is good. So that's it taken, moved through human being. And you can see the power of that there. And the more that we open up to the acknowledgement of gifts, the more that we can then let in. Let's take a look at Secrets of Heaven 4172, or I mean, spiritual experiences 4172. Someone was saying that he had no goodness in himself. So this is Swedenborg reporting something he saw in the spiritual world and can therefore not be saved. He was told that he ought to have the true faith that all goodness is from the Lord and that thus he can be gifted with charity. So there you see, if you just realize that all goodness is from the Lord, then I can give you charity or mutual love. This shows that higher knowledge ought to precede, namely, that all good is from the Lord, and that without that higher knowledge, one is not gifted with charity. He was further told that he can know that all good is from the Lord, but he cannot have faith so as to really acknowledge it unless he has charity. From charity it can be acknowledged, never from faith without charity. So there you have a series of concepts. He had to know everything came from God in order to feel that love in his heart. He had to have that love in his heart in order to get this set of knowledge you would call faith. So the more that we learn, that's why we're doing this show, this particular episode, the more that we uh, educate ourselves on the, the nature of the gifts we receive, on the nature of gratitude, the more that actually creates a pathway in us to let it happen. Continuing, Secrets of Heaven 633, all people can be perfected and so receive this gift of the Lord's mercy. The way they had lived their lives in the view of the evil they had inherited from their parents determines the shape in which mercy comes to them. And in true Christianity, the love of being useful comes from the Lord and is in fact the Lord himself. So things that God gives. Now, that's interesting. The, the evil they had inherited from their parents, that's like, <laughs> it's like a weird tasting jelly bean to mix in there uh, with the feel of the show right now. You know, the, the jelly bean packets with a lot of... Never mind. So if you want to know what that concept is, very briefly, hereditary evil. We all inherit negative traits, not just that our parents are evil, but it just passed down generation to generation. So some people have a lot harder time being good than other people just because they have these predispositions to these negative things. Some people have to really struggle not to steal. So, and other people, it just never crosses their mind. Same thing with getting angry or, or whatever the vice may be. So just it, what it's saying there is God knows what's on people's plates. It's if you have 
a struggle with something that you were born into, you're not going to be judged harshly on that. So that's what that means. God wants to give gifts. What gifts does God want to give? Well, let's go to a split screen. Yeah, the God deserves a split screen. All the things you would think. Swedenborg says, peace, freedom from hell, mercy, forgiveness, compassion, faith, love, innocence, goodwill, truth, ability to learn and develop, intellect, rationality, perception, joy, fun, wonder, fulfillment, relationships. I caught up to the end. That was great. So all that stuff, that all good things, as we were hearing in those quotes before, all good things come from God, and that God is going to give everything if we can just get this humility, gratitude kind of thing in play. And to wrap up the section, since we're talking about gratitude and quality of life, this is the last clip we have from Sony Werner, and she is talking about how gratitude can also actually enhance our health. So here she is. And by doing that practice during the hard times as well as in the good times, it actually helps your cardiovascular system be healthier. They actually measure people before and after they've had a grief time or after a divorce or a harsh time when they've had a lot of disappointment and your blood pressure and your cardiovascular system is all out of whack. But gratitude practice actually helps you get your cardiovascular system better again. And so it's a simple practice to write down. It doesn't have to be lengthy. It could be just on your iPhone. It could be just something you write in a little teeny journal. It could be in your prayers at night if that's your practice. But to think specifically of a few things that people did recently or even just in the last couple of hours. So it doesn't have to be just, I'm glad for world peace. More specific it is, the better. And then being mindful. Do I want to communicate with that person or do I want to even communicate with God who is the source of goodness? So we've gotten through that. Gratitude can do all this stuff, but there's still one more category, which is that gratitude can actually inspire something in us that you might not think about when you hear the word gratitude. So let's take a look in our final section. we call this gratitude and the inspiration to give. And you may say that, of course, I think of that when I think of gratitude. Someone gives something to you, you want to give something back to them. But there's, it's actually, the phenomenon is not limited just to reciprocity. And we can see that, again, we return to this greater good foundation. This was a speech, or I mean, an article, uh, or a speech within an article given by Dr. Christina, Christina M. Carnes. And she was talking about gratitude in the brain. And we have a quote from her here. You can watch her whole speech if you go visit their site. But her, the quote is, In human beings, that reciprocity doesn't just mean paying back a favor or a strategic tit-for-tat exchange or adjusting your position in a social hierarchy. It's more about something bigger about connection. When I said that gratitude compels us to give, that giving back can be more than just returning a favor to the person that did something nice for us. If we're grateful to different sorts of institutions, then paying it back or paying it forward towards society can take on more complex and more abstract forms. In compelling us to give back, gratitude and altruism are sisters in virtue. So you can actually be inspired to give not just to the person who gave to you, but it can experiencing gratitude toward anyone can inspire you to give to others, to just be more generous in general. And since we haven't really delved into it at all, let's, let's think about it biblically. This is when somebody asks Jesus Christ 
um, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells a story. It's a pretty famous story, the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard of it, and we're not going to read the whole thing here, but it's a guy gets hurt, this guy who you wouldn't expect helps him, takes care of him. And Jesus tells it to this guy and says, who is the neighbor? The neighbor is a Samaritan. Go and do likewise. Jesus was telling this story as an inspiration to this guy to go and then give just like the Samaritan gave to that guy. So this phenomenon is written in there as well. And while we're on this story, Swedenborg, as you probably know if you're following the show, gives descriptions of the internal meaning of everything in the Bible. It's not just Old Testament, it's New Testament too. So here's a little clip of Swedenborg being read that describes the, the there's a deeper meaning. To, it's not just about helping somebody who gets physically attacked. There is a, a deeper level of help here. So here's what he said about the Good Samaritan. Oil stands for the good urged by heavenly love, and wine for the good urged by spiritual love. Oil and wine have a similar meaning in the Lord's parable of the Samaritan in Luke. His pouring on oil and wine symbolizes his performing acts of love and charity, for the meaning of oil is a loving goodness. Since wine symbolizes a goodness born of love and faith, In the highest sense, it symbolizes divine truth from the Lord's divine goodness, because it is from this that a goodness born of love and faith flows to people who accept it. All the physical descriptions also describe uh, more emotional, cognitive things that we can do for people. So it's beyond just, not everybody has physical wounds. People need different kinds of help. So that story is about receiving gratitude, passing it along. And I said that uh, we, we, that was our last video from Sony, but I have a lot to be grateful for because I noticed we have one more, and this is cool because this is her talk. It just happens to fit perfectly with this section, which is her going a little into some of the research around this beyond reciprocal phenomenon and how being grateful can actually change the way you feel about everybody else. So here she is. But what's interesting is sometimes people do what we call upstream indirect reciprocity. It's a fancy psychological way of saying, I'm not just gonna do it between you and me. I'm also, when you are generous to me and I practice thanking you, whether I say it out loud or I just think about it, and then I contemplate where does goodness come from that inspired you to be kind to me and helpful to me, I'm actually in a state of mind that I wanna be altruistic to lots of people, indirectly, not just you. And upstream, we've often heard the phrase, pay it forward. Very often when people are, are they, they, they're not necessarily in a relationship with that person over there, but they'd want to help. And so they're in a state of mind to try to be more helpful to others. So to help to do good is most effective if we have an idea of what goodness is first. And Swedenborg describes this in Secrets of Heaven 9780. Since the word consists of teachings about good, since people need to know what good is if they are to have any understanding of the word, but no one can know what good is unless he tries to lead a good life in accordance with the word. For when someone tries to lead a good life in accordance with the word, the Lord instills good into that person's life. The person then comes to perceive that good and has a feeling for it, and and as a result recognizes the essential nature of it. In no other circumstance does it appear because it does not come to be perceived." and also charity holds within it 
the presence of the Lord. So those are saying that you first are making an effort. You, you have an idea about this is how it's right to live, and you start it. It doesn't mean you're, you have it right on, but when you're trying to do it, that is the vessel into which God can flow. So you start to put yourself out there, and the truth, the love, comes flowing in if we want to accept it. And why would we want to accept stuff from God. What's so cool about God? Well, Secrets of Heaven, 6, 4, 6, 7. Life received from the Lord is the life of love toward the entire human race. That is, what would life be like if you loved the entire human race? If you didn't have any ego competition with people, if you didn't have any fear of people, not that you couldn't defend yourself from people if you needed to, but that you you weren't uh, in any kind of antagonistic mindset toward people? What if you felt good about people and only felt if they were messed up, you felt compassion? Wouldn't life be a lot better that way? So that is the love God is trying to... That's how God feels. That is how God's trying to make us feel. Further, Secrets of Heaven, 1735, more on, a little more about God and love. There is no adequate way to describe Jehovah except in terms of pure love and so in terms of pure mercy toward the whole human race. That mercy is his desire to save everyone, to make everyone happy forever, and to give us everything he has. Doesn't sound like such a bad deal. Anyone who is willing to follow is someone he wishes to draw toward heaven anyone who is willing to follow, or in other words, toward himself, out of pure mercy, by the powerful force of love. This love itself is Jehovah. No other entity but love can be described as being the I am, or as having independent existence. The essential reality of all life, life itself, in other words, comes from this love because it is innate in love. It is integral to love itself. Because Jehovah alone is the essential reality of life, is life itself, since he alone is love, absolutely everything has its reality and its life from him. Not a single person has the capacity for independent existence or life but Jehovah alone, that is, the Lord alone. And since no one has independent existence or life but the Lord alone, the fact that we seem to ourselves to live independently is an illusion of the senses. You ever heard that phrase, we're all connected? Angels perceive clearly that life is generated not by themselves but by the Lord because living as they do in the Lord's love, they live in the essential reality of His life. Even so, the appearance of independent life is granted to them more than to anyone else, along with happiness beyond words. This, then, is to live in the Lord, which we cannot do in the least if we do not live in His love, that is, in charity for our neighbor. God is love. God is the effort to get us to all love each other. And if gratitude can do that, if gratitude, you feel gratitude for someone, that inspires you to go act lovingly towards someone else. That is inspiring you to do the thing for which this whole universe uh, existence as existential experiment exists. God created the universe, Swedenborg says, so that usefulness could exist, so that somebody could do something to help someone else. So if gratitude can inspire us to do the thing that the universe was created for, gratitude must be cool. And that is why we just spent an hour telling you about it. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like, uh, subscribe, that is a great way to show your gratitude. Man, oh man, you will, God will bring you a new car if you do that. Um, also, if you really want two cars, consider donating to Swedenborg Foundation. We're a nonprofit. We do need money 
to make things run as all things do. Very much appreciated. Now, I said we'd get to our questions and comments, and we're really going to do it. We're going to get to them. We'll take a quick video break, 10 seconds, and then we'll be here, and I'll talk to you about what you want to talk about. So see you then. No time to waste. We have no time to waste. We got to get to our questions. Let's go to the first one. We got to get to them all. Uh, thank you guys for writing in. Seth, YouTube. Whom are they in Genesis 1, 01, 2, 6? Then God said, let us make man in our image. Is life created by a deity and helpers such as spirits and or aliens, or is it deities while also maybe being as well spirits and or aliens? Great question. This is my answer to that. Swedenborg says that the original creation story is not just a story about the initial creation of the universe. All things in that text, in Genesis, in the entire Bible, are the story of every individual person's spiritual creation. That just because you're a person walking around doesn't mean you've come to life spiritually. If you're completely centered in, uh, I'm the most important thing, hatred toward other people, ignorance, we have yet to sprout and, and live spiritually. The creation story is us the spiritual part of our mind, the altruistic, empathetic part of our mind coming to life. So when that's happening, that is God and the angels working together, and that's the, the make us man in our image. That's them working together to bring about that transformation in each of us, not at the beginning of time, but right now in our lives. That's what that means. That's what Swedenborg says it means, uh, and that's what I'm going to say about it. So great question. Thanks. Next one. Gift 12. Hey, that's a great name for this episode. Does Swedenborg consider psychic abilities and abilities to speak to the dead to be a gift? Well, he certainly thought that his own ability to interact with spirits and angels was a gift. That He says, the Lord opened my eyes so that I could bring you this knowledge. I mean, he very much saw that as this is something God has given me for a specific purpose. Uh, anything that is used for the betterment of the human race is a gift. Uh, everything good that comes from God is a gift. So if it was for him, why couldn't it be for other people as well? Stamp, that's my final answer on that. Thanks very much. Next one, French fry. I was reading parts of heaven and hell. So one day I'd like to understand how fear is evil and sends one to hell to be punished. Why would punishment in hell be the remedy for fears? Interesting. I'm not sure which part of heaven and hell you're talking about. Fear, I don't think that he says that fear is evil. Um, evil is a love. Uh, there's fear associated with evil. It's wrapped around evil because evil is essentially a love for yourself and exclusively you don't care about anyone else. When you have that, that love for yourself and for everything that you own and everything you gain, then you're always afraid you're going to lose it and also being in that cuts you off from the protection of God, and as such, you're around people who are like you, who just want to hurt each other. That creates fear. Um, nobody is in hell to be punished. They're only in hell to be corrected or to be given a distaste for the things, the the actually destructive things that they love. So um, I don't... My sense of Swedenborg in heaven and hell is not... Oh, I'm afraid of 
crowds. I'm afraid of people. I'm, you don't get punished for that. So I'd love to chat with you more about what, what specific parts of it you're thinking of. Or maybe in the chat room you can bring it up. Somebody there will know more than me. So there's sort of an answer, sort of. Okay, thanks, man. Next question. Alexander, YouTube. I wonder what comes first, love or wisdom to begin regeneration? Do we need to know the f- truth first and then love, or do we need to love first and then receive the wisdom? I would say the wisdom first, knowledge first. Um, this channel is called Off the Left Eye because the left has to do with intellectual stuff. We give knowledge. It's up to us to do the, the right side, the loving side. Swedenborg says we have two faculties, will and an intellect, heart and mind, th- thoughts and feelings. The feelings will never reform themselves because whatever gives us pleasure, we feel like is good. It's only through realizing, ooh, that's not good. We, I need to not delve into that thing. That's the only way we can kind of fight against ourselves and push back on those ple- pleasures. So as the way I see them, very much you need to first know what's good and what's bad. And it, what you know, Don't listen to me tell you what it is. You figure out for yourself what do you genuinely think, what's harmful, what's helpful. Then start to push away the harmful things. That's our part. Once we clear that space, then the feelings of love come in. So that's my take on it anyway. Thanks for asking. Next one. Lisa, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Does Swedenborg ever address this? Yes, he does. And I'm hoping that I remember it exactly right. But I believe that the correspondence there is somebody who, a rich person is someone who has pride in their own intelligence uh, or believes that they are better smarter than other people, that that's, that's the spiritual riches of that kind. So this goes right with the humility, gratitude kind of theme we have here. Unless we acknowledge that we're not better than other people, it's just impossible to get into this state of mind called heaven. It doesn't have to do with worldly wealth. As we saw earlier in the show, remember there was these little coins here. Um, that is wealth can be a blessing or a curse. Some people have a lot of money, and that's awesome. I'm glad they do, because they use it to change the world for the better. Some people have a ton of money, and it's just a huge drain on the human race that they have that much power. So that's what Swedenborg says is the internal universal meaning of that. So thank you. Let's take a look. Next one. Cortland, is that why there are a lot of good, honest, hardworking people who never achieve financial success in life? Is Providence actually keeping their spirit protected because money might corrupt them? I would have to say so. Swedenborg has a passage where he describes, it's one of my favorite, he describes people in the stream of Providence, this this state where you have um, acknowledgement of the divine operating in life. And he says, when they are raised up to riches and high positions, they do not consider themselves more worthy than others. When they are downcast into lowly positions, they do not become dejected. So it doesn't mean you, you learn all the secrets of wisdom, you're going to be rich. It means, hey, okay, I'm, I'm here. It's not that I'm not going to try to work or something, but I am not going to feel like I'm worthless. I'm not going to feel like, why aren't you giving me better things, God? And yeah, there could be a million reasons for it. It could be that, you know, the the reasons I don't know how to articulate or understand. It could be that, as you say, it could be that God sees the inner nature and that little do we know, if we did have a bunch of wealth, it wouldn't be as uh, conducive to our development because it might corrupt us. Or it could be that us being at whatever station we are is putting us in a position to help other people. So I I think that Swedenborg says that's what's the forces that are governing the world are God wanting to do the best for everyone spiritually. So yeah, 
you know, everyone can keep hoping that, that uh, you know, they'll have a roof over their head and, and working for it. But at the same time, don't feel like you're worthless if you don't have money. It, Swedenborg says some people who are very uh, lowly in this life are doing really well in heaven because of the love that brought to them. Uh, n- not everybody. Some people don't have it good here and get bitter and, and negative, and that doesn't, that doesn't do well. But the point is, we don't know, and it very well could be as you say. Thanks, Cortland. Next one. Francine, was illness given to learn pain and suffering? It's a great question. Was it given? So it's this confusing. There, God, okay, I will say a few things. God, I'll say a few things. Pain and suffering. Swedenborg does say that you can't have true happiness unless you know its opposite. Unless we have some sense of what it is to not be well, to, to be in pain, to have suffering, we can't really appreciate health and peace and happiness. On the other hand, God does not do evil. There are levels of enthusiasm God has for things. That Swedenborg says there are some things that God wills, some things in life God really wants to have happen, and He makes them happen. There are other things that God permits, um, which is, this is not, I don't like how much this is hurting people, but everything taken into account, this is the only way we can get there. So this is what's going to happen. I'm not thrilled about it. And then there are things that God tolerates, which are like, wow, I really wish this could be different. This is the only way. So I would imagine something like an illness. This is God is suffering along with you, but this is, you'll see in the end, something good. So it's not like God is sitting there and saying, here's, here's a pox on you. You know, that, I don't picture it like that. It's a larger system where diseases come because not everyone's protected and evil in the spiritual world. Uh, it's not the person's fault, but evil leaking through in this grander scheme. All this kind of stuff. We're all in this world together, so we all suffer from each other's mistakes. But God is using each individual life to draw that person closer. So it's sort of like yes and no at the same time. Does that make any sense? I'm just going to imagine that you're sitting at your computer saying, oh, that was great. Yeah, that totally makes sense because that makes me feel great. Uh, Okay, so thanks. Next one. I'm not making light of that question, by the way. That's a very serious question, but I just, I was making light of how short I fell. Andre, what does Swedenborg say about our pets? Do we meet our deceased pets' dogs when we die? Man, this is like one where Swedenborg doesn't bat so well. Uh, he, he doesn't say anything about pets. And I've heard people say that um, that's because there's pets weren't a, as big a deal back then. That, that Actually, they didn't used to like, oh, lost dog signs. Like in that time period when Swedenborg was writing, it wasn't a, a big enough deal that he didn't really spend time on it. As unbelievable as that sounds, everyone wants to know, will animals go to heaven? Will my pets go to heaven? But you'd think he would address it, but he doesn't seem to. He does. He talks about animals differently from human beings. He says that what, what makes human beings live eternally is our the third level of the mind, which allows you to connect with God, um, think rationally, that kind of stuff. However, you take the other side, which is that man, I have a dog, I love my dog, and that would be just weird. Like, what? why wouldn't the dog be there? You have near-death experience people who say animals are there. The answer is, you saw it earlier, God wants to give everything good to everyone. So whatever the answer is around the pets thing, it's got to be something good. God is not just going to 
arbitrarily break your heart by giving you these love connections, like, oh, I love this animal, and then that animal's gone. So I don't know. I don't have a great answer for that one. I hope the answer is every pet fish I ever had is now swimming in some little pond in heaven, and they're happy, and they have plenty of food. That's what I would love. We'll see what it is. Whatever it is, it's going to be good because God is smart and loving. So there's my answer to that. Next one. Connie, YouTube. How do we be humble and on guard towards oppression at the same time? Reminds me of the saying from Jesus, be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Certainly everything I've, everything I've been saying, you know, that last a couple questions ago about is it just maybe that's just our lot in life to we're being kept from wealth um, because it might corrupt us. It could all be taken as like just saying, yeah, you just lie down, just be a sheep. There is a balance. You know, there certainly are situations where people in this world should have a lot more money, but corruption is taking... You think about really poor nations where the leader is totally corrupt and all this aid money is coming in, but he's just spending it on uh, Hummers and stuff like that. Uh, so you don't... You do want to try to have agency. You don't just want to be passive. I do think that that, you summed it up, innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Swedenborg talks about the innocence of wisdom, which is not like the innocence of a child, because it, it's, it's got this knowledge in it. I think it just comes down to figuring out, I guess it's the serenity prayer, right? Where, where can I change? What I can't change, I'm cool with. Or um, think about, if, if we're talking about Jesus... Think about when he was going to be crucified, and he said to God, um, you know, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as you will, but as I will. And if we can, as Swedenborg often says, you got to act as if you're acting on your own while acknowledging it's really God. So go try to, if, if you feel like you're being oppressed, try to break it off, try to make a better world for everyone, at the same time acknowledging whatever God is going to make what needs to happen here, happen, and just try to act from mutual love. That's the best we can do. Great question. Okay, let's do a few more here. I think we're going to do three more. Banjo234, are we expected to be grateful for our problems before those problems are constructively and reassuringly resolved? I wouldn't think so. I mean, that that seems like too tough of a... a, when, When you have a problem, it sucks. It hurts. It's a problem. If somebody just had their, you know, their kid die or their spouse die, you know, I'm not going to go up to them and say, isn't God awesome? Doesn't he work in mysterious ways? We're human beings, and we need, we, we don't need to have a religious robot mind that whatever happens, I am happy. There are certain places where we are going to be able to apply, certain places where we're not, just like with grief, See what you can handle. Apply it there, um, and yeah, there there is a certain mindset. You know, if if you have a relative that is in a war torn place in the world, and you tried to call them, you haven't heard from them in three days. You don't just want to sit back and say, you know, God is is doing it all. There can be an element in there of I know you're doing everything for the best. That would be a hard one. I'd say start practicing on the little ones. Maybe it'll be something that comes up for you when you're dealing with something really hard. Maybe not. You know, um, I would say we're, never, we're not expected to be anything. This is meant to be a something that helps us when it can, not uh, here's something else to pile on. You're already having a problem, and why don't you love this problem? I don't think it's like that. Um, 
So I'd say be gentle with yourself because life is tough. And God, obviously, if God is is actually omnipresent and divine love and wisdom, God knows this is hard. Um, so it would understand what we're going through. So those are a few, few thoughts on that. Two more. Nathan, if a thief enters your house, robs you of everything, and leaves you high and dry and goes home and thanks God for what he got from you, how do you look at that? Um, all good things come from God. Uh, evil doesn't come from God. And actually, so one thought that I have is he's, he's inaccurate because God brings good things. And, what, what, and also he's misunderstanding the situation because what he's actually done for himself there is a huge disservice to his own spirit. If you go rob somebody and take joy in it, that is like poison to the soul because you're not going to be able to get rid of that at all, or at least easily. You're going to have all kinds of spiritual problems from getting into that. So he is barking up the wrong tree there, you know? But you do have, people do this. People do this. You, You see this, people go blow other people up and they say, God is great, because they think, oh, I'm doing what, what God wants, and they're not. Or that God is on my side. How for every war, everybody thinks God is on their side, and uh, that's okay. I kill everyone because God wants me to kill everyone. You know, I was just watching this show about conquistadors in, in the Americas, and they go kill everyone because God wants them to get. It's not true. It's delusion. You're deluding yourself. Um, if they do that, they don't understand. They don't understand what God is. God is love. God, ha- the Ten Commandments, including not to steal, are, are an expression of God. So it's an oxymoron. You can't steal and then thank God for it. So I would look at that as sucks for the person who got stolen from in the short run, and in the long run, the thief, don't do that. It's not going to end up well. Don't do it. Okay, one last one. Yukapo, I just don't understand what we are then if we aren't actually doing good things. Oh, the hardest one for last. We are, we are something, because we are the only thing that, outside of God, that is conscious in the same way that we are. Every human being is unique. Swedenborg says this over and over, you can't be unique without having characteristics. It's just, you're, you're referencing earlier in the show when I was reading Swedenborg who says, God is the one doing good things. It's like God is the active force. We are partners in this action. Uh, we, we are a receiving vessel. Swedenborg describes it as we are a receiving vessel. What makes us who we are is the kind of vessel that we are, the kind of tool that we, we accept things in a way that nobody else accepts them. We feel in a way that nobody else feels. And we are we can do something, we, there's a part of God that if we don't accept will never be expressed. There is a, par- there's a unique partnership between us and God, the, the human-God relationship. This allows something to come into the universe that if we don't do it, there's an empty spot there. Does that, is, I don't know if any, what would be reassuring to you there, but the human the human, the nature of the human being is we are something that God is acting through, and it, that we are this thing, this thing that can partner with God and bring God's help to each other. Swedenborg says God cannot be- benefit us directly. He can only benefit us indirectly through each other. For this reason, he inspires us with his love. If we don't get on board, it doesn't happen. 
Is that enough? There's a lot more. If you ask this to even a Swedenborg or an angel, they would know a lot better. In the end, it's got to be something good because God is not in God is not into just breaking our hearts for no reason and saying, "Oh, you actually I made you think you're something, but you're not." And and we as we saw in a quote here, actually the more you feel that partnership with God, the more you do feel like you are yourself. Whatever that means, Angels have this clarity of mind that they aren't feeling like I'm nothing. They're feeling like I'm more something than I've ever been when I was on earth. So it's got to be something good. That, that's a great cop-out, and that's how we'll end. It's got to be something good. Next week is going to be something good, everybody. We are going to take a look at spiritual light. What is the nature of it, and how does it relate to phraseology, like how are, we are illuminated on subjects, we are enlightened, what is it all about? It's going to be even more interesting than it sounds, so hope you'll join us then. Thanks for hanging.